Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for joining me today. Today's episode is all about phases of muscle contraction and how training those components can influence something called force velocity profiles. And depending on how you train, they can actually optimize or hinder your development. So let's dive into it. Stick around. Welcome to the More to Movement podcast, where we break down the science behind movement and provide you with tangible takeaways so you can take charge of your health and fitness and achieve lasting results. If you're ready to optimize your efforts, move with purpose, and invest in your health and performance with confidence and vigor, you've come to the right place. Here's your host, Pete Rowletter. Welcome back to the show, everyone, and to episode number five of More to Movement. I'm glad you're here. If you've ever lifted weights before, you know the equation for success, right? Lift up weights, lift weights back down, and repeat. And you do that until you can't do them anymore, and voila, there you go, right? You have muscular development. Of course, there's some truth to that, but like most things in life, overlooking the simple or foundational things can really delay your results. Muscle contraction is no exception. Have you ever given thought to how you're lifting? I don't mean your reps and your loads or or how it feels, but the contractions, or better yet, the phases of contractions themselves. Have you ever thought, why am I performing these reps this way? You see, tissue responds to a stimulus, and most of the time, the only stimulus we really focus on is when we actually lift the weight and how fatiguing it feels. But if we understand the phases of contraction and what we're actually training, We can manipulate the stimulus to optimize our development and achieve the goals we want much more efficiently. I don't like to waste reps. It comes down to my motto, move with purpose and move as optimally as possible. So to begin, let's make sure we understand the phases of muscle contraction. Now, I'm not going to dive into the science of how muscle contracts. I've already written a post covering most of that. And if you're interested in checking that out, Head over to my website, moretomovement.com forward slash why hyphen movement hyphen matters and check it out. Now, if y'all want me to do a podcast episode diving more in depth into the science of muscle contraction, let me know uh, by reaching out, by visiting the website um, or leaving a comment and I'll be happy to oblige. It, uh, it'll give me another excuse to really nerd out. So if you want to hear about it, let me know. What I'm going to focus on today are the types and phases of contractions, specifically isotonic and isometric contractions. Isotonic refers to a contraction where movement is occurring. This is what you think about when you actually lift weights, an up and down movement. Those up and down phases are called concentric and eccentric phases, respectively. If you can, take your right hand and place it on your upper left arm. Now, bring your left hand up toward your shoulder. What you'll feel is the muscle, the bicep brachii, under your right hand kind of ball up. And this is the concentric phase. Microscopic myofilaments in the muscle attach to each other and they're pulling the tissue in, causing the muscle to shorten. Using kind of the gym lingo, that's what's occurring when you, quote, flex a muscle. And if you understand anatomical terminology, you know flex does not describe contracting a muscle for every muscle you can contract. But in the gym, anytime you tighten a muscle, it's called flexing. So I'm using it just to kind of drive a point home, right? So that's what's happening when you make a muscle big or you contract it or you flex it. Now, keep your right hand on your upper left arm, but 
bring your left hand back down to a resting position. You probably felt that balled up muscle that you just had kind of shrink. Well, it didn't shrink, it just lengthened. This is the eccentric phase. And those myofilaments that we just talked about earlier, they're slowly releasing and the tissue begins to return to its rested lengthened state. I'm going to talk more about these in just a minute. The other type of contraction is an isometric contraction, meaning muscles stay at a fixed length. This can be done for a brief period, like holding your grocery bags while you walk from the car to your house, or for an extended focused period, like a plank exercise. All of these contractions work together to stabilize, create, uh, or prevent movement, but each has a unique characteristic that, if applied and trained specifically, can yield very precise outcomes. Contrary to popular belief, eccentric contractions generate the highest amount of force and require less metabolic energy than the other types. So keep in mind that although tissue is lengthening during the eccentric phase, it's just not merely releasing. It's resisting and slowing the lengthening action, which puts enormous tension on the tissue. And further, a protein called Titan fights like crazy to avoid being lengthened, thus increasing the force potential. Training the eccentric phase has a lot of benefits. A focus on the eccentric phase can increase tensile force, leading to greater strength gains, if that's your goal. It can also improve the tissue's ability to store elastic energy, leading to greater force or ballistic production. And due to the high amounts of force and subsequent overall muscle fatigue, it can enhance hypertrophic outcomes, aka muscle size. One thing to consider though, Due to the high amounts of tension, eccentric focused training typically leads to higher levels of delayed onset muscle soreness, also known as DOMS, which can prevent you from training due to those longer recovery time periods needed, as well as the time needed for the tissue to supercompensate. Next on the force list is isometric contractions. The force generated during these contractions aren't as high as the eccentric but are typically greater than concentric contractions. What's unique about isometric contractions is that the force can be used to activate or target specific muscles by utilizing the contractions at a very specific joint position. This is extremely helpful at targeting underactive muscles uh, that may not be doing their part, specifically during movements. So I use isometric contractions all the time to target muscles that are a bit underdeveloped or they're not engaging properly. And I use them to improve or correct some movement dysfunction. For example, I may have a client squat down to a particular angle that I notice an issue and have them hold it to get those targeted muscles at that specific angle to start firing a bit. Isometric contractions are also great to use for improving stability and integrity of joints. It's one of my favorite contractions to use. So we've talked about eccentric, we've talked about isometric, what's left is concentric. And though concentric may have the lowest force production in comparison to the others, these contractions have the greatest velocity production as well as the highest muscle activation. These contractions require much more metabolic energy, but they can enhance motor unit recruitment and rate coding or firing rate of action potentials, which will instigate muscle contraction. 
This can result in optimal muscular development and maximal rate of force development. So when you think of something moving, like a dumbbell, for example, concentric contractions are an action there. So at this point, I've mentioned force and velocity quite a bit. To truly implement effective training strategies, we need to understand how these phases affect the force-velocity relationship. I love talking about force and velocity because force and velocity have a really interesting relationship. Though they influence each other, they have a tough time sharing the spotlight. So on one side, we have force, and we know force is vital because it allows for maximal muscle recruitment, and that's usually expressed as strength. Very important. But on the other hand, sometimes we need to move very, very quickly. So in terms of exercise, I want you to think of a maximally loaded squat, meaning it's the most weight you can possibly do. Some of you have done that before, and if you haven't, just try to envision really, really heavy load on your back. When you perform that squat, is it quick? No, not at all. So as we say, what you're going to do is you're going to grind it out, and you're going to move very, very slowly through that movement because you're recruiting every muscle fiber you can to stand up with that weight. Now I want you to shift your, your thoughts to jumping. So to leave the ground, what must happen? You can move as slow as you want, but you cannot leave the ground without a high velocity contraction. You have to, to overcome gravity, there has to be a high velocity contraction. So when it comes to jumping, the rate of contraction is the most important component. And this is the interesting duality, guys, between force and velocity. Maximal force and maximal velocity cannot coexist. I want you to think of a continuum with force on one end and velocity on the other. And this continuum represents a muscle's ability to produce tension at different shortening velocities. As velocity increases, we will see a decrease in muscle tension. And of course, as force increases, we will see a reduction in contraction rate. However, not all is lost. Though maximal force and velocity cannot coincide, optimal levels can. And that's the kicker. The two will intersect at a point, which means that you can have an optimal level of force and an optimal level of velocity at the same time, and this point changes for different movements. And that is influenced by the emphasis we place on how and what we train. Most movements have a degree of both traits, so putting it all together, it means that many exercises or movements can be modified to develop these characteristics. No more time wasted just lifting weights, but actually training now with a purpose. So what are the takeaways so we can start implementing these strategies? And how can we actually use this? Well, here you go. Number one, review how you've been training. What is your primary purpose? Are you training to be stronger or are you working to lose weight? Do you want to build muscle or improve your endurance? Maybe you want to move faster, quicker, or more explosively. Whatever the goal, evaluate your approach and then see if your training matches those goals. Second, 
See how implementing both force and velocity characteristics could benefit or enhance your development. We know movement is a combination of force and velocity, just like we discussed. So find areas that a change in focus could merit better results. Let me give you a couple examples to drive this home. If your goal is muscular development, let's say, then think about adding eccentric focused phases to your training. This causes an increase in tension, which can lead to muscular fatigue and contribute to an increase in muscle size. If your goal is weight loss, think about adding velocity profiles with fast concentric action. This requires more metabolic demand, which can lead to higher caloric expenditure and muscle fatigue, which is very beneficial if your goal is weight loss. Or you can apply this to the exercises themselves. For example, you can perform a squat exercise with a really heavy load to develop force, but then you could also perform a squat very quickly with a lighter load to start building contraction speed. Or further, you could perform a squat with a moderate load at a set tempo so that you start to improve both force and velocity. Guys, these are just a few examples, but you get the picture. The possibilities are endless if you understand what you're trying to achieve. So to summarize today's show, let's remember these few points right here. First, force and velocity have an inverse relationship, but developing optimal levels of each characteristic can greatly influence movement, which of course will lead to better overall development. And then second, phases of contraction contribute significantly to overall movement outcomes and understanding how the concentric, eccentric, and isometric contractions uniquely contribute to movement and muscular development can really help you achieve your goals quicker and more efficiently. You just have to be creative and, and have the know-how to make those modifications. So that's our focus for the show today. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the episode, spending some time with me. If you have questions or comments about training these phases or profiles, please feel free to reach out and let me know. Let me know your thoughts at uh, my website, moretomovement.com, and you can drop me a line, uh, either sending me a message or reaching out to me on social media. So we've been tackling the principles of movement series pretty hard over the last couple of weeks, and for good reason. We really need a sturdy foundation if we want to build a stellar house. However, I do want to make a change for the next episode, and I'm going to do a show on the frequently asked questions that I receive from my students, because I think many of their questions would really help you guys. And of course, additionally, I think it puts the stuff that I've been talking about over the last few weeks kind of into that real world setting. I think it'll be a fun show. So I hope to see you then. Thanks everybody. And remember wherever you are, keep moving. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of More to Movement with your host, Pete Rowletter. If you enjoyed the show, please visit moretomovement.com where you can find this episode's show notes along with more episodes and articles to empower you on your journey.